more than they know. Please open your Bibles this morning to the Gospel of John, chapter 3, chapter 4. The Gospel of John, chapter number 4. Begin our reading this morning in verse number 1. John chapter 4, verse 1. When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not, but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee, and he must needs go through Samaria. And then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away into the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, asketh drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, Thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well, and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle? And Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not. Neither come hither to draw. Throughout the years, there have been many great discoveries made. Naturally, being here in America, we think about Columbus in 1492. He sailed the ocean blue, and, well, you know the rest of the story. In 1628, Harvey discovered the circulation of blood, and that opened the doors to a lot of other things in the field of medicine. Pastor discovered the rabies vaccine, and the list goes on and on. When I was a boy, I can remember in 1953, Jonas Salk discovering the vaccine for polio. And I can remember how frightened parents were back at that time. And I can remember some of the victims of that horrible disease. And what a great day it was to make a discovery where there was a vaccine to prevent that. Great discoveries. Well, the list could go on and on and on, but today I want to talk to you about life's greatest discovery. That ought to be pretty simple to figure out. Amen? Amen. Last week, we talked about life's greatest dilemma. 
The greatest dilemma in life is not to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And the greatest discovery in life is to discover that through Jesus Christ, you can have a personal relationship with God Himself. That's good news. And here was a woman never suspecting on that particular day that she would ever be confronted by the Son of God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And here she is, having just simply gone to the well to draw water. And she meets this stranger there. And he makes the request, give me to drink. And ultimately it led to the salvation of this woman. She made... The world's greatest discovery. And I want you to think about her experience here this morning. Notice her condition. Now, whenever you think about her condition, it might be that she was in good health. And it might be that she had a considerable, you know, fortune laid up. I don't know about those details, but here's what I know. I know that she was a wounded woman. You've heard the old saying, three strikes and you're out. Well, here's a woman that had three strikes against her. First of all, consider the fact that she is a Samaritan, so there is racial conflict. A woman of Samaria. And you'll notice that she emphasized that. Why are you speaking to me? I'm a woman. We don't think anything about that today. But in those days, it was a big deal because women were looked down upon by society as a whole. They were certainly not considered equal in any sense as they are here in America. She's a woman, but not just a woman. She is a Samaritan. You say, well, what difference does that make? It would have made a big difference back then. The Samaritans were half-breed Jews. It dates all the way back to the time of the Assyrians. And you remember that the kingdom of Israel was divided up into the northern kingdom, the most liberal, and the southern kingdom, that is Judah. And the ten tribes of the northern kingdom were what we would certainly label the modernists and the liberals. They were just about as bad as you could get. And because of their sin, they went into captivity. And when they did, they interbred with the Gentiles, the other nations around them. Now, they maintained their religious beliefs to a certain degree. They rejected all of the Old Testament in Jesus' day, except the first five books of Moses. So they still had a measure of religion about them, but they were despised by the Jews. The Jews had no dealings with them whatsoever. They were not even allowed to make proselytes of the Samaritans. I mean, they are the scum of the earth as far as the Jews are concerned. They could not even be adduced as witnesses in the case of a trial. If it's a Samaritan, you you just couldn't use their testimony. It's hard to imagine that a people as undeserving as Israel could ever entertain those thoughts about another people. And yet, folks, that happens all of the time. Racism, how ugly, how terrible it is to think about despising someone because of the color of their skin or because of their cultural differences. 
certainly has no place in Christianity. But listen, we think back to America, for example, and we think about our past, and we think about, you know, our godly forefathers. And I thank God for those forefathers that held up the standard of Christ high and established this nation on Christian principles. I'm so very thankful for that. And we ought to never forget that. But isn't it amazing that it took so many years for us to stamp out racism here in our nation? I got news for you. We didn't stamp it out because it still exists even today. And it's a horrible, terrible sin when we despise other people. The Bible says we're to even love our enemies. And certainly this ought to never be an issue, but it's not something new because it goes back all the way. Back then there is a racial difference between the Jews and the Samaritans, and they hated the Samaritans. The Jews that had been so blessed by God, the Jews that had experienced God's goodness and His forgiveness again and again and again. Listen, if you ever see yourself as God sees you, you'll learn quickly you never have a right to hate anybody. Hate sin all you want, but we ought not to hate anybody else because we're all sinners. There's not one person in this building that's any better than anybody else. The only good about any of us is Jesus Christ. So there is this racial conflict that she's involved in, but also there is a relational calamity here. Notice, when Jesus says, go get your husband She said, well, I don't have a husband. And he said, I know that. You've had five husbands. In other words, she's had five husbands. She's now living with a man to whom she wasn't married. Now, there's no details here. I don't want to be too judgmental. I don't know how many of the husbands died. I I don't have those details here. But I can tell you one thing. Regardless of what had transpired, here is a woman that's been through some painful experiences. Anytime you've been married five times and you're living with somebody that you're not married to, you've had some bad experiences. So here's a woman that's been there, done that. Here's a woman living in sin in the sight of God. Not only that, but notice her religious confusion. Just listen to the story as it unfolds, beginning in verse 20. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain. And ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship ye know not what. Boy, if that doesn't describe a lot of churches today, I don't know what does. Ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. For the hour cometh and now is when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship Him. God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. The woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he has come, he will tell us all things. Jesus saith unto her, 
I that speak unto thee am he. Literally, here's what he said, because notice the word he is italicized, inserted by the translators for clarification. I don't say that to correct the King James Version. I never correct the King James Version. There's not anything wrong with it. But I do want to point out that they added the word for emphasis so you would know exactly what he was saying. But the precise answer was, I am. Sound familiar? Isn't that what God said to Moses at the burning bush? I am. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He is the door. He is the bread of heaven. He's the water of life. He's the rose of Sharon and the lily of the valleys. He's the bright and the morning star. And he can go on and on and on. When he said, I am, he's simply saying, I am everything you need and more. This woman's problem, most serious problem, was not racial. It was not relational. The most serious problem was her religious confusion. Here is a woman that's lost. A woman that is unsaved. Now I want you to notice very carefully that she is not lost because of what she had done. Jesus did not say, well, if you weren't so bad. Nor was she lost because of who she was. He did not say, if you weren't a Samaritan, she was lost because she did not know Jesus Christ. So she has plenty of religion, but no salvation. And that's exactly the problem with so many people today. They're religious. They attend church. They know all of the religious jargon. They can speak intelligently about Christian things. They would tell you perhaps that Jesus is born of a virgin. They would tell you that Jesus rose from the grave. He ascended back to heaven. They might even believe He's coming back again. But you can know all of that information and still not be saved. Here is a woman that is spiritually dead. Her soul is dried and parched. And Jesus offers to her the living water. Living water. And He said, if you'll drink of this water, you'll never thirst again. Oh, I still remember that day that I took a drink of that living water. There's never been a moment in my life since that day that I first trusted Jesus Christ that I ever sensed the need to be saved. I There's never been one second in my Christian life that I ever doubted it. Isn't that what Jesus is saying here? You'll remember, He said concerning the bread of life, if you eat of this bread, you'll never what? You'll never hunger again. I didn't say that. Jesus did. And He said, if you drink of this water, you'll never thirst again. That's why I get really concerned about these folks that say, well, you know, I think I'm saved or... Uh, You know, I'm not sure. I'm kind of confused about that. Because when you've been saved, you're going to know it. You say, well, I but but I don't know a lot about the Bible. Listen, the Bible says the Holy Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the sons of God. If somebody burned all of the Bibles tomorrow, we could still know we're a child of God because the Spirit of God lives in our heart. And the Spirit of God is assuring the children of God that they are the children of God. Isn't that wonderful? 
So here is a woman in this situation, an unsaved woman whose soul is dried and parched, disappointed, been through all of the bitter stuff at life. But notice her conversion. And it's obvious. Notice she says, Jesus revealed himself, and she said, Sir, give me this water to drink. Now, notice her conversion, number one, came after she had been confronted by Christ. And let me tell you, no program, no plan, no seminar, no book ever written can give you as much information, as much insight into soul winning is what you find here in this story. Several years ago when I was teaching in Bible college, I taught classes in missions and in in evangelism. And this was my favorite story of all because there's so much contained here. Listen, whenever a person receives Christ as their Savior, immediately, immediately they ought to get concerned about other people. Jesus was concerned about others. He didn't have to go through Samaria. He could have gone a different route, a shorter route, maybe a better route or whatever, but it says he must needs go through Samaria. Why? Because Jesus knew that she was going to be there. And he went there because he had compassion for this woman. And notice how he deals with her. I'm going to give you seven things. I don't have time to discuss them. Seven things here that relate to how Jesus brought this woman from her unsaved condition into God's family. Number one, he came to where she was. He came to where she was. People are never going to be saved unless we go where they are. He came to where she was. He didn't build a little building out here somewhere and put up a sign, First Baptist Church, everybody invited, and just keep everything inside the four walls. He went to where she was. Secondly, he conversed with her and aroused her interest. If you're going to be the salt of the earth, you've got to come in contact with people. So he conversed with her. He confronted her with her sinfulness. And you see, this is the part that really gets unpopular today because so many people tell us that we ought to just totally ignore all of the teachings concerning the law and God's wrath. They ought to just emphasize God's love and the fact that they can go to heaven. Listen, people will never know they are sinners until they know something about the law of God because that's God's perfect standard. And we look at that standard and realize that we're sinners. And so he is confronting her with her sinfulness. She'll never be saved until, first of all, she comes to grips with the fact that she is a sinner in the sight of God. And then notice number four, he challenged her misconceptions. She said, well, you Jews say the only place you can worship God is in Jerusalem. And our fathers say this mountain's the place that we ought to worship God and so forth. So she has several misconceptions. And Jesus challenges those. He's not being unkind. He's not being argumentative. He understands that she has to understand. I think far too many times whenever we're dealing with other people, we just have a take-it-or-leave-it attitude. And we don't want to challenge their misconceptions. So I said, well, aren't you scared you're going to run them off? Aren't you scared you're going to offend them? Listen, 
It's like somebody said years ago, where are you going to scare them to? Hell number one or hell number two or hell number three? Listen, hell is hell. People have to be confronted with their sinfulness and their misconceptions have to be challenged. It doesn't mean that you're rude. It simply means that you just don't let it slide by when somebody says to you, well, I think there's a lot of different ways to heaven. As a Christian, I think you're obligated to challenge that nonsense. Number five, he clarified the issue. Number six, he countered her attempted evasion. I don't know whether you noticed it or not, but in this conversation, she is trying to, she's trying to put it off. She's trying to, you know, ignore it. And just like some folks in church, They've heard the Word of God. They know what they ought to do, but they just want to wait, and they're trying to evade the issue. Oh, if you could stand where we pastors do every week and watch people, especially when you bear down on certain points and how fidgety some people get. And you can just tell they want out here more than anything. They just can't stand it. There are some folks that no doubt are unsaved, and every time you bear down on the matter of salvation, you can see it in their face, in their countenance. They get very, very uncomfortable. She is trying to evade this issue here, and Jesus is not going to let her off the hook. Number seven, he confirmed who he was. She said, oh, we've heard about the Messiah. Oh, yeah, we know that when he comes, everything's going to be all right then. We know about that. And Jesus said, I am. (laughs) The one you're talking to, I am. I'm He. And that's what knocked her off of her feet. So it came after she was confronted by Christ. It came after she was convinced of His truthfulness. Now listen carefully to what I'm saying. I said she was convinced of His truthfulness. You see, she could have heard all of the facts, just like a lot of church members have heard the facts. Some of them know so much they could teach a class about the life of Christ. They've got all of the historical facts down pat. But it's one thing to know all of those facts. It's another thing to be really, truly convinced in your heart they're true. And we're never saved until we get to that place that that we trust Him. Amen. You see, the Bible says the devil knows, but remember, he's still the devil. So it's one thing to know the facts, it's another thing to put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, notice the third thing about her conversion. This is the most surprising of all. It created an uproar. Look at verse number 27. This is amazing. And upon this came his disciples, now get this, and marveled that he talked with the woman, yet no man said, What seekest thou, or why talkest thou with her? In other words, they they didn't have the, the guts to come right out and express themselves, but they're thinking this among themselves, and Jesus knows it. You know, when it comes to this part of the Bible, I almost would rather just pretend like it's not even here. But honesty 
and, and accountability to God compels me to make mention of this. We're talking about the disciples, folks. These are those men that had forsaken all to follow the Lord. These are the men that constituted the very first church. And they're upset because he's talking to a woman, a Samaritan woman. And they're all bent out of shape because of it. You need to understand this. Becoming a Christian does not solve all of your problems. It did not for her. Here we find them being critical of this woman and even critical of the Lord. Sometimes criticism comes from the most unlikely places. Are you with me? Remember what Jesus said, a man's enemy shall be they of his own household. You can trust Christ as your Savior. The chances are good that the neighbor down the street won't bother you. The chances are good that your co-workers won't trouble you. The chances are good that the students at school will not stone you. But I'll guarantee you there'll be somebody at some point in time in your family that as soon as you get serious about God... They'll rise up against you and do what they can to discredit you and to discourage you. How horrible that these disciples had this kind of an attitude toward a woman. I mean, how do you build a church out of such material as this? And these are the men that Jesus had chosen. Just kind of shows you that this church is not a man-made organization. It's here only because God put it here. In spite of all of our faults and all of our failures, we exist because of the power and the grace of God. Now, look at verse number 28. And I want you to notice carefully what happens now. We've seen her condition. And her conversion, she's come to the realization that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. He's the only way to heaven. She wants to drink of that living water. She's expressed her desire to have Christ in her life. And notice what happens next. Verse 28, the woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and saith to the men, Come see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? And then they went out of the city and came unto him. Now this is so amazing. It reminds me that some of the best soul winners come from unlikely places. I mean, here's a woman to start with. Here's a woman that had no formal training whatsoever. And what's she doing? She's doing what the disciples should have been doing. They went into the city to buy food. She went into the city to tell others that she had found the living bread, the living water. She wanted everybody to know what she had discovered. 
She's discovered that fountain of living water that is able to satisfy the soul, and she goes into town doing what the disciples should have been doing. She made life's greatest discovery, and she wants everybody else to know about it. And notice what happens. Pick up again in verse number 39. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him. Now here it is. For the saying of the woman which testified. He told me all that I ever did. And so when the Samaritans were coming to him, they besought him that he would tarry with them. And he abode there two days. Now listen. And many more believed because of his own word. There's no telling how many people, maybe into the hundreds, I don't know, a great crowd of people that believed, and it all started with one woman who made life's greatest discovery and wanted to help everybody else discover what, what she had found. You talk about a personal witness. I mean, this woman is exactly that. All of the plans and the programs in the world will never take the place of what we do naturally as Christians. And the book of Acts emphasizes that. That day by day, the disciples, as they were going, as they were doing, as they were interacting with those around them, that was the way they ministered to people. Now, I certainly wouldn't be one bit opposed to saying, all right, we're going to have visitation on Thursday night at 7 o'clock. Fine. And we've done that. That's wonderful. Saturday morning, 9 o'clock, we're going to go out here and canvass the neighborhood. That's fine. That's wonderful. But if that's all we ever do, we're wasting our time doing that. If that I said if that's all we ever do. But if we'll do that, and in addition to that, that we'll do what this woman did. Just simply tell other people what we've discovered in Jesus Christ. Amen. God will bless our efforts. You see, this matter of witnessing ought to be as natural as breathing. There's some of you here this morning, beyond any shadow of a doubt, that since the day that you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have never ever engaged anyone else in conversation about their need of salvation. Now, I've got to tell you, that's, that's terrible. Can you imagine whenever Jonas Salk discovered the vaccine for polio, had he decided, wow, I've made a great discovery here, but I'm not going to tell anybody else about it. Can you imagine how many thousands, maybe millions of people that have been spared that horrible disease because here was a man that discovered something that he wanted to share with the world. And if you've been saved, you've made a discovery far greater than that. Amen. You've discovered the fount of living water. Do you ever think about how vital water is to our existence? Physically, it is the one element that we absolutely cannot do without. It's more important than anything else. You can live without gold, and you can live without silver, 
You can't live without water. We've got to have water. And Jesus is that living water that is able to bring spiritual satisfaction. You see, by nature, none of us are satisfied. If you're here today and not saved, I know some things about you that you might think I don't know. And you can deceive yourself and say, oh yeah, I'm not saved, but I'm, I'm perfectly satisfied in life. I've got a good family. I've got a good job. My favorite ball team won the World Series, and I, I'm perfectly satisfied. No, you're not. You're not being honest. If you're not saved, you cannot be satisfied. And here's the reason why. Because God created each and every one of us with a God-shaped blank within us. There's a void in your life that only God can fill. Remember Solomon? Here was a man with my everything at his fingertips. And he tried everything imaginable on this earth, looking for satisfaction. In fact, he tells us that he did this in the context of an experiment. And he said, I, I tried wine, I tried women, I tried wealth, I tried works. I tried all of these things. And in the end, here's what he said, it's all vanity. It's a soap bubble. None of it satisfies. And finally, he said, I hated life. You see, you can never really enjoy life. You can never really be truly satisfied in the depths of your heart. Until when? Until you drink of the living water. And when you do, you want somebody else to have that same experience. She did. She hadn't been off to Bible college. She hadn't taken a soul winner's course. She didn't know very much. She knew one thing. She knew Jesus as her Savior. Amen. And as a result of her going out and telling others, a multitude of people were saved through the ministry of one woman who was criticized by the first church. It's like I said, you get busy doing what God wants you to do, and there will be somebody that doesn't want to do it that will criticize you because you're doing it. Don't you dare let them hold you back. You jump in Christian service with both feet, and do everything you can. Why? Because what you discovered is too important for you to neglect. Go tell somebody else. Let's stand together. Father, how this woman puts us to shame. When we think about the spontaneity of her just without any urging from the outside at all, going into the city and telling others what wonderful things she had discovered. Lord, help us to have that same kind of enthusiasm in our Christian service. Forgive us for being unwilling to get out of our comfort zone. Forgive us for being unwilling to get serious about witnessing to others. 
Help us, as the old-timey song says, be a soul winner for Jesus. Then, Lord, today, no doubt there's somebody here in this service, just like that woman, their soul is dried and parched, and there is an emptiness in their life that they can't explain. And Lord, help them today to understand that only you can really, truly satisfy the longing of their soul. And I pray right here this morning that they might drink of that living water, that they might put their trust in Jesus Christ and make life's greatest discovery while there's yet time. For we pray in Jesus' name. Would you stand? And as we lift our voice in song...